Greetings, programs, and welcome back to another episode of the Awesome Friday Podcast. This week, we're coming at you with two new streaming titles, or more accurately, one new and one old streaming title. Uh, We'll be speaking about Netflix's new action film, Kate, starring Mary Elizabeth Winstead, and Cruella, starring... uh, uh, Wow, Emma Stone. Emma Stone. Emma Stone. This is what happens when I'm very professional, which is all of the time. Um... And I'm not even going to re-roll that because I'm too lazy. Right. And it's it. funny because I'm looking at a picture of her and I just blanked on her name. So, you know, that's how it is. Anyway, welcome to the podcast. My name is Matthew. With me as always is Simon. Say hello, Simon. Hello. Hello. <laughs> and don't forget Mark Strong because it's a movie made in modern times. So it has to feature Mark Strong. In well, uh, double trouble. It was made in England. <laughs> so it has to. So it's uh, required uh, that Mark Strong be in it. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh. So yeah, two movies. We uh, Cruella, I know, seems like maybe a little bit uh, late to the party, but uh, while I had the chance to see that movie when it was released, um, it, both in theaters and on premium access, Simon did not, and it just hit Disney Plus for everyone this week, and he had the chance to watch it. Uh, and yeah, I th- and I think then it's a good time uh, to talk about it definitely. Yeah, and uh, and then Netflix's new film, Kate, which I think, despite being the newer thing, we are going to start with. And I think the reason for that is that we didn't like it as much as the other one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, spoiler alert, this review will be mixed. I'm going to say mixed. We're going to say mixed reviews for Kate. Yeah. But that's kind of skipping to the end. It um, is. Let's talk about Kate. Give me, a, give me a premise without mentioning the words crank, John Wick, or Japan, give me a premise. Well, two of those things are possible. <laughs> uh, one okay, of them which... is not. You can't not mention Japan. That's too... Anyway, okay. So <laughs> uh-huh. in Netflix's new film, Kit, uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead plays a young assassin who is uh, working for the Yakuza in Japan. And she wants out because of a hit gone bad in the prologue to the film. And she accepts one last job and ahead of that job she is fatally poisoned and she spends the rest of the movie attempting to enact her revenge upon those that did her wrong that's pretty much the whole movie there's not it's not what i would call deep subject matter and the most annoying thing about that is that that's a killer premise that has worked i'm gonna say the word crank it's it the the uh, hit person gets uh, slowly murdered and an axe revenge before they get completely murdered. Uh, that's a killer concept. Like that's worked many times before and it's worked well many times before. I mean, Crank, John Wick uh, are both version, you know, one of those, they're both revenge stories. One is a guy slowly dying story, which they managed to pull off twice. <laughs> yes. Uh, against all, like, I don't, I'm not going to go out here and say that Crank is high art, but Crank, the Crank movies are fun. Mm-hmm. Crank they're, is great. Yeah, they're fun. They're they're great. Yeah. Jason Statham's having a ball, and they're just balls to the wall the whole time. Yep. Um, what was your impression of Kate, having watched it slightly more recently than me? I think that your perspective might be fresher. So I think you watched first, it a day after me. <laughs> just <for> the, <laughs> <laughs> the first thing everyone should know is that I. Mary Elizabeth Winstead is one of my absolute favorite people to watch be in anything, like as a genre actress all through her career, uh, from Scott Pilgrim to The Thing prequel um, to um, this to um, as a dance movie she did earlier in her career, which is kind of her honey, where she's an uprising dancer. Like she is incredibly versatile. She's done lots of um, like slasher films when they were really on vogue. Um, so she, she, you could kind of categorize her as a, as a, um, a one-off, but if you watched Birds of Prey, for example, which we're going to talk about a lot when we talk about this movie, you'll know that she's got a killer, like, physicality and an intensity in her face, but also comedy timing. Like, she's got a really good mix of things that she can use. So... Maybe if you ever look at my Twitter stream, when this movie got announced, there was just a lot of screaming and screenshots, if you remember that, Matt, because uh, yep. I, I, am, I am there for a movie where she is 
a hit person with uh, with vengeance in her blood. Like there's, you have to work to get that wrong. So on the one hand, I watched this movie very much enjoying her. But on the other hand, I spent the whole movie wishing that they hadn't hired the director whose only credit was the Huntsman's uh, Winter's War. They hadn't hired the scriptwriter whose only credit is Extraction. They hadn't hired whoever the hell they got to fight, choreograph and edit that thing. So in, in a movie that lives and dies by its fighting, it's an action movie with lots of fighting. And the fight choreography is terrible. It's terrible, terrible, terrible. And the editing has no energy to it at all. And that's before you even get to how lifeless the direction is and how, like, I don't even know how to describe the script. What adjective would you give the script? Basic? Simple? Flat. Straightforward? I would say flat. flat. There is no life to this at all. And she deserved better. I'm having my Britney moment. She deserved, because she still, through all of this, she still finds moments to be incredibly watchable. Like, she elevates everything in this movie just by... Uh, interacting with it but god it could have been so much better i was just thinking where's kathy yeah where's the directors of crank the neveline neveline taylor uh, yeah neveline taylor who also did ghost rider two spirits of justice of course um, spirit of spirit of vengeance thank spirit, you of, spirit of vengeance right my favorite although i'm not in any movie. position to correct anyone on anything having blown <laughs> emma stone's name out of the game <laughs> so i i spent much of this movie just basically thinking uh, i i've made i've been in and made some low 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 budget movies in my time and i could have done all of this movie better I, many people could have done this movie better because there's just no energy to it it's so flat and it's so needlessly plain and boring and that's before you get into how it tells its story it uh like you can talk about the whole japan aspect because you summarize it very very well but my my kind of reaction to it is i love her and kind of was shaking my head at everything around her was that fair i think i liked it more than you though right? you definitely liked it more than me my one sentence review uh which i actually posted on letterboxd was that people in this world keep telling me that um, Atomic Blonde and John Wick have a style versus substance problem and I invite everyone who's ever said that to watch this movie to see what that's actually like. Because mm -hmm. this is not a good movie. I'm sorry. Like, I love Mary Elizabeth Winstead and I think that the... I think there's some pretty great cinematography in this at certain moments, mostly to do with how they shoot Tokyo as a city and oh. a location. Yeah, um, that's fair because he's um, the director's an old VFX. He used to be a VFX artist, so that tracks. It's it is it it can be stereotypically beautiful if you get what I mean. It's 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 very nicely laid out. Yeah, the problem with it though is that everything to do with Japan in the film is needless. Like it doesn't need to be Japan. It could be literally. It could be literally any organized crime group in literally any country. It's only Japan because someone who made this movie really likes Japan. Everything about Japan in this film feels fetishistic to me. And that's not a good thing. I can't, I, like, this doesn't, like, you used to be able to get away with that. And if you watch older movies that do it, you can still sort of be like, well, it was 20, 30, 40 years ago, whatever it was. But it's 2021. Like, remake this movie with a Japanese person. And honestly, it might be a little bit better just for that aspect alone um but and it's interesting because it, it the film has a lot to say in the last act about you know western culture corrupting japanese values and culture and then it but it only ever pays lip service to it it doesn't show anything really about that unless you want to count woody harrelson showing up to swagger his way through an obvious villain reveal. I don't think it's a spoiler to say he turns out to be oh a God. bad guy because you can tell from roughly the second word out of his mouth. <laughs> and that's yeah, and honestly, the, the, and honestly, my problem with other big, my biggest problem with this movie is that the people who made it clearly saw a lot of other movies and said, I like this scene or I liked that aspect or I like this thing from that movie and then just put them all in their movie without thinking about why those things work in the context they were originally in. Mm -hmm. It wears its um, 
influences on its sleeve so plainly that it doesn't really have an identity of its own other than look at this cool thing we did. And then occasionally you just get also like a really horrible video game cutscene car chase for no reason. Oh my God. Can we talk more about the car chase? It's a slight spoiler. I feel like we might be spoiling. It's a very minor spoiler. So there's a... Here's the thing, listeners. I think that probably some of the stuff we're saying is a little bit spoilery, but this movie is so paper thin that there's nothing we like. You will know what's going to happen at the end of this movie by about 10 minutes in. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, there's, I don't. There's... there's exactly one great action scene. There are. Uh, well, not even great. It's just really, it's, no, quite, it's quite good. Uh, and I talk about the first fight in the, in the tea. Oh, no, I am definitely not talking about that one. Oh, thank God. Which one are you talking about? Then? I'm talking about the, 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 the walking gunfight toward the end. Oh, yeah. Okay, fine. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, I'm saying whatever we say that might be a spoiler, we're going to try and keep it spoiler light, but like you will not, it's not going to ruin anything of this bad movie because you will, you will figure that out really quickly. I mean, um, it's so it's so needless. Like this, the car, the car scene we're talking about. She uh, she's walking down the street and they're looking. They the she's just blah blah blah. She's just trying to shoot someone, and the guards are now running around saying, "Let's find him, find him, find him." And I was like, "Oh, clever! They're using uh, stereotypes to assume that it was a man who tried to shoot their boss." And she's walking down the street with a hood on, and she's like, "Scott Free, she's gone." Like they're not looking for her. In fact, they run straight past her. Yeah. So, so she decides to steal a very loud car, and then oh no, no, race. I'm sorry, I need to interrupt. She does not steal okay. a loud car; she steals <laughs> the loudest car, <laughs> and it, not just was, loud in terms of like big open muffler engine noises, but like decked out in neon interior lit lit in hot pink. Like yeah. the loudest car. <laughs> and of course, this thing has like squealing J-pop coming out the radio and neon underlights. And she she drives this thing drives away and attracts so much police attention that you have this huge car chase. Great, you may think. I like car chases. Let me ask you another question. Do you like mid-2000s need for speed video games? Because you're getting one of their cutscenes. But well, because there is there's nothing. There are no cars that feature in the, no actual cars that feature in this car chase. There's a ton of uh, video game cutscene cars, and it's so stupid. Well, but here's here's the what I think is the worst part of this. So I think you summarized it pretty well. She's missed her shot. She's trying to get away. All these yakuza guys are after her. She's walking down the street. She puts up her hoodie, and they walk right by her because why would they pay attention to her, a Western woman? You know, seems like a really smart moment. Then she steals this car, which is super loud, as we previously established, which, sure, one thing. And obviously, there's cops right nearby because, of course, there are. But still, this loudest car is not exactly alone on the street when it comes to loud cars in the neighborhood. But what happens next is she she steals the car. She hits the guy she's stealing it from. She pulls out into the street and then she slows down and makes direct eye contact with the Yakuza henchman before speeding away. <laughs> yes, I forgot about that. It's like, hi, hi, it's me. It just, uh, it's every choice in this film feels, Yeah, it feels like they had their, a bunch of ideas for a bunch of cool scenes. Oh, absolutely. Many, many of which they nearly pull off. I said this um, to you after I watched it. Like you, you mentioned that um, the gunfight at the end. My theory is that when you watch this, there's a slow mo gun scene where she walks into a building with a bunch of yakuza behind her, and she's wearing some like cool stuff with cool Japanese shades because of course she is. My theory is that the director basically built this whole whole movie so he could shoot that one scene because that's the, the cool scene of the movie. That's why you've seen it in the trailer. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, most of the rest of the fight scenes are not great. Uh, it, it's a combination of many things, but most of it seems to be camera work and editing. There's oh my God. the uh, the production notes for this, which if you I don't think I don't I don't know if I send them to you, but I've read them, no, and they make a big big deal out of how she trained for this and how like 90 90 95 percent of the action scenes it's actually her, but there's so much cutting in so many of them that I. If you hadn't told me that, I wouldn't know. And honestly, having told me that, I'm not sure I believe it. No. Because there are several scenes where she's fighting 
and it's so quickly cut and shot at such weird ang- and and also yeah. just shot at angles that deliberately keep her face obscured so yeah. there's no like if it is her why would they do that and if it isn't why would they say it is i don't get it that's the, not to um, say that all of it is devoid of anything cool like there's a really that's one of the first big fights which simon already mentioned is takes place in like this very stark tea house where she ends up fighting a bunch of yakuza bad guys and it actually follows a pretty fun scene where she's interrogating a a mid-level yakuza guy about who poisoned her mm-hmm. which i was a pretty well done scene i thought um but then the fight happens and it's so horribly cut and it it's just you terrible. can't and there, you, it's 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 one room and there's no geography to the fight. It's really terrible. But then there's a really cool moment where someone grabs her by the hair and tries to like cut her head off from behind. And she does this move that simultaneously spins her around, disarms him and cuts her hair into a perfect haircut. Um, <laughs> and that, that moment by itself is cool. Uh, but the, like you, it's, it's, it stands alone among the rest of the scene. And even that scene, it, it, it you can see it happening, but then it cuts away from it so quickly that it's hard to remember that it happened at all, almost. It's so weird. That, when, when you watch Kate, watch this fight, because it's interesting. And when they're fighting, watch the people around her, because you can literally see the henchmen waiting for their turn to join the fight choreograph. There's one point where one stands there with his fists up and waits for his moment to throw his punch and she's already blocking it without looking at him. There's so much telegraphing in the fight choreography. It doesn't look natural at all. Like there's some proper um, uh, psychic prediction going on of where these punches are going to fall. And it just drives me crazy because it's it's very tricky. I I, I did a year fight choreo for, for theatre. It's very, very tricky to make that look good because it's it's rehearsed so much it's rehearsed like a dance so you you know each step and the trick is to make it look like you don't know each step and many like if you look at Donnie Yen fight or any one of that ilk right they are masters at making everything look natural and they sell every hit completely this was just like the opposite of that you could see every bit of direction and people were standing in position ready to to do their thing like when it happened a second later, it was just awful, really awful. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much the whole film. I mean, <laughs> there's a there's this whole plot that she befriends the you know the niece of the yakuza boss she believes poisoned her, and that teen is like a you know sort of meant to be like the sympathetic outsider. She's half American and shunned as a result. But everything about her is like she's meant to be a teenager, like a young teenager, but she's wearing a mini skirt and thigh high stockings. And it's just. She's a teenager in Japan. I mean, what else do they wear in Japan? And like, I know she's new. Like, I don't think she even has any other screen credits to her name. And she's Canadian. Um, But it's just not a great performance. And her one, like, quote, cool scene. She's standing outside of a, you know, she's blocking the path of a car and she points her fingers like a gun at a guy and she says, bang, and then the guy gets shot from Kate in the background. But, like, I've seen that scene before. Oh, God. Like, so, so many, many times. times. So uh, many times. And it's shot in this, like, really leering slow motion and just everything about, again, just uh, not to harp on it, but, like, everything about the way it looks at that character and at Jap- Japan and Japanese culture is so leering and it kind of drove me nuts by the end so true, the, the, true story i watched this movie with my wife and at about the about the third two-thirds mark i'd say she just peaced out she just left yeah yeah i don't blame her and the, i was like fun- i was like i'm gonna finish watching it she's like really why <laughs> yeah the funny thing about the the way it treats japan and japanese culture is that when she there's a big kill bill monologue moment with the head of the accuser who gives her this deep meaningful insight into this Japanese myth about uh, a princess being poisoned or a queen being poisoned and enacting her revenge and uh, his whole point because it turns out that of course Woody's uh, brought his influence into one of the accuser um, leaders and is sort of doing this splinter group and he's like, one of his point is like, Westerners coming in and diluting our culture and selling it off for theirs. And I'm like, 
I, do you not see any of the irony of what you're saying right now? Yeah. <laughs> like do you... In this, in this of all movies, like how can you not see this? Uh, yeah, I mean, very much. Like, do you do you know what movie <laughs> yes. you're in? Um, have you have you have you seen anything that's happened in the last hour and a half? Well, it couldn't have been an hour and a half. The movie's only an hour and 35 or something. Maybe it felt like an hour and a half. But the, and also there's moments where, where um, she gets hurt, like with bullets. Let's call it shot. She gets shot. Twice. <laughs> she gets shot twice in this movie. And um, apparently she recovered from that. Like once in, in the head and once in the leg. And it the the bullets are there. The, the injury from the bullet is there to have, um, have an effect in the scene she's in, and then she's fine. Yeah. <laughs> like next scene, she's fine. Like there's I mean, no. Not, that's not even to mention the fact that so she, she's not just poisoned. She's poisoned. She's poisoned by giving like a lethal dose of a radioactive isotope, which is physically destroying her body from the inside out. To the point where, like, in real life, she would have to be in isolation because she's radioactive. <laughs> she's, she's, like, she's radioactive. You don't want to be around that person. You don't want to be around people because you're going to make them radio. Anyway, um, but she just has this magic EpiPen that just, mm-hmm. uh, and they don't ever say what she's like, just give me some stimulants. And they're like, okay, here. And she just, but, like, I'm pretty sure, and I'm not a doctor, and I don't play one on TV, but I'm pretty sure <laughs> when your cells are degrading like that, yeah. no amount of stimulant is going to make it better. <laughs> just, you know? Like, it just... Yeah, maybe it was Bobo Lemon. <laughs> uh, so she, I don't know if Bobo uh, Lemon is a real Japanese soda, but the, she spends a whole movie like trying to find it. And then it turns out the Yakuza guy has one in his car. And it's this most hilarious Joey from Friends moment where he takes a drink and turns to the camera and says, Bobo lemon. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's yeah, boom, boom, boom. I don't know. Boom, boom, lemon. I, boom, boom, lemon. I, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. But it's just, it's honestly like, oh, so uh, they watched Zombieland and they saw the movie with Woody Harrelson where he spends the whole movie looking for a Twinkie. Oh, so they've seen that movie too. Good. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Honestly, if you want to watch the hitman who's enraged and slowly um, dying, then watch Crank. Like it, because Crank is this, but with life and with humor and with amazing fight scenes and incredible um, editing and direction and and I I just wish we could just take Mary Elizabeth Winstead out of that movie and and take the money used to make that movie and give it to someone who knows what they're doing and know and, and have it scripted by someone who knows how to write a script and give her. Like, because her character is so similar to Huntress in Birds of Prey anyway. Like, let's find a, a, a funky female to director to direct these two females who are fighting against men. Let's find maybe a Japanese female director to actually direct this and get some energy out of it and to, to do it properly. But it's a, it's a massive wasted opportunity. But I guess it didn't cost much. I mean, that's maybe, I think with Netflix has maybe an approach to these kind of things where this, I, I get the feeling that director and the screenwriter were very much the cheapest options they had. And it gets, it gets uh, another tick on the sheet, doesn't it? It's another movie that they can put in their genre list that's a, next, a Netflix production. So maybe that's a little cynical, but there are, there are so many uh, directors and writers out there who are desperate for a, for a break. And so it was kind of depressing in a way to to see this and then to look at the the credits of who wrote and directed it because it was just the wrong choice, just wrong choices all around. Yeah, I mean that's it's about as kind as I could make it too. I think the budget on this was about. It's hard to find because Netflix doesn't actively publicize that thing, those types of things. But I'm I'm pretty sure the budget was somewhere between twenty five and thirty million dollars, which is. Sadly, actually, kind of mid-budget these days. Oh, like it sounds like a lot, but it's, it's not. It? Yeah, it's it's not a not a ton of money. No. Uh, at least not when it comes to uh, movie making. So that was that, was that writer you liked. Um, is that Angie Angie Han? I remember a line that she wrote in her review of this um, that really stuck with me is that she she felt like it was something made specifically so it could appear in your because you like list on your netflix line 
like because yeah, you a... like these movies. So it's the, it's just an amalgamation of all these different genres, so they can put it in all these lists. Yeah, it, it sort of speaks to the Netflix problem, and I'm not quite as cynical about Netflix as I think a lot of people necessarily are. There's a lot of people out there who will just say like, well, Netflix doesn't care; they just need content for the algorithm. And to be clear, that's true. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, they're greenlighting stuff left and right. There's tons of people who are working because of Netflix. There's tons, and and unlike the many big studios and Disney, who we're about to talk about, is maybe is one of the worst for this, being the biggest studio with the biggest franchises. A lot of those big studio franchise studios aren't really taking swings anymore right? They're always choosing the safe bet. They're never going to make a movie that's not a billion dollar bet, right? Um, Whereas Netflix is very, very on board about being like, you want to make a movie about an assassin in Japan? Here's $25 million. Go to to town. And honestly, we can complain all we want about how Netflix is just churning stuff out for the algorithm, but that's much closer to the way the golden age of Hollywood was than the studio system is today. You know, the, the studio, the golden age of Hollywood, they put out movies all the fucking time. And they just made movies. And went, Do you want to watch this? No, it's fine. We'll make another one. You know? <laughs> Whereas now every major studio production seems to be this very calculated, like focus tested. Will this make money? How can we tie it into other aspects of our business? How can we tie it into an existing franchise? Yeah. And if it doesn't, how can we turn it into one? Whereas, you know, the Netflixes and the Primes and the Shutters of the world seem a lot more content to make like, let's try just try and make one good movie and see what happens. You know? <laughs> and I will say that despite the fact that this movie's bad, I appreciate that. Yeah. Like, I appreciate that it exists. I just wish it were good. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> uh, I, and I, that's... I didn't turn it off. I must have watched it for a reason and and there's there's one part of this movie i genuinely liked and it's about 15 seconds in that beginning of the last act Mm -hmm. (laughs) i put that how's that for a box quote i liked 15 seconds of this movie um but you know the the, you know the pull quote would be like the best quote 15 seconds quote of the year (laughs) (laughs) absolutely yeah uh so yeah but so. still, go still go watch it if you're curious. I mean, if you've got Netflix, it's uh, massive star free to you. You've already paid your money. Why not? Why not spend an hour and a half, get a beer, in, and watch Mary Elizabeth Winstead kicks mass? Because she's great. She's so watchable. And I keep um, I imported the uh, the double feature of Thing One and Thing Two, and I still plan on watching those two back to back because. I, d- I don't know what the general consensus is on her thing prequel, but uh, I really, really like it. And she's great in it. So I look forward to watching that. I, I, I watch anything she's in. Well, I mean, this. so again, I didn't like this movie, but I'm always, and I do mean always on team. If you're curious, watch it for yourself. Yeah. You know, this movie, the overall rating is somewhere in the middle. I think it's sitting at like basically 50% on Rotten Tomatoes. So, um, or something like that. Like most of the reviews on Letterboxd has it at like 2.9, I think right now. Um, That's, yeah, that's very generous. uh, Yeah, it is. You're not wrong. But like, there's people who like it. There's been a lot of people. It's sitting at three, three out of five on Letterboxd right now. This is not three out of five movie. The, uh... The, the, the four reviews by people I'm friends with are all three and a halfs. All three and a halfs and one with no score. What? So I don't, uh, you know, in some ways we might even just be in the minority about it, but I, I didn't like it. I didn't I connect think, with it. You said you, you said you said you kept watching it for a reason. I kept watching it because I wanted to see to the end to make sure. <laughs> <laughs> some kind of masochistic pleasure. Well, sometimes a bad movie is saved by the ending. You know, sometimes uh, bad movies, you know, sometimes they put all their money into that third act, third act set piece mm-hmm. and that will make it worth watching. Uh, this yeah, was this was not that movie, not that movie. <laughs> no. but uh, it could have been. And and honestly, like, I don't really it's it's maybe it's masochistic of me, but I also feel it's a, I feel that it's a little bit intellectually dishonest to review a film that I haven't seen all of. Yeah, I agree. 
So that's that's why I finished it. But that is pretty much the only reason why I finished it. Yeah. 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 So, so Kate, Kate, not good. <laughs> so I think still, still watch it weirdly. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I would love to hear what anyone who's actually listening to this thought of this movie. So <laughs> if you if you liked it, if you agree with us, let us know. And if you didn't agree with us, also let us know. Uh, you can find us on all the socials. Please, please do. Yeah. And oh. with that, though, I think we're going to move on to a film that I believe we both liked. Yeah. Uh, which is called Cruella. Uh, Simon, why don't you give us the rundown? You watched this movie this week, and I watched it oh, several what, yeah. months ago. So why don't you give us the rundown on Cruella? So I watched it last night. Um, and honestly, it just sounded like a terrible idea from the beginning if you that the pitch of this movie is for generations people have been curious about Corella Deville where did she come from why did she turn so evil and how did she get her fascination with Dalmatians well now Disney takes you to the root of the devil in Cruella the beginnings <laughs> and it just sounds like a terrible idea um, and maybe that's why I enjoyed it so much because I was really expecting it not to be terrible. Disney doesn't make terrible movies. It really doesn't. But I was expecting it to be pretty rote and straightforward. And honestly, we put it on so my kids can watch it while we had takeout feed. What I was not expecting was this incredibly energetic and well-written and brilliantly performed kind of exploration of a girl who has some serious uh, mental trauma. And well, she has some some base level trauma that is made way worse by one specific moment and has these moments of disassociation that she tries to kind of control until she can't anymore. And the uh, how this character evolves in this kind of very cool 60s style London, um, well, she tried to, tries to find her feet in the fashion world. And, and basically, there's a bit of Devil Wears Prada in there where she, she it, if you imagine Anne Hathaway learning all the wrong things from Glenn Close and basically becoming a total power-hungry uh, person to survive, that's kind of her approach, but it's not without consequences. And those consequences are examined and there's a really strong human element in who she hangs out with and... Uh, Emma Stone is incredible in this movie. I mean, apart from her British accent, which is very, very good, she she doesn't overplay this, and she well, balances. No, ex- except except where the plot asks her to. Oh, yeah, in yeah, which no, case, exactly. she ex- at which point she overplays it to perfection. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly my point. She she's there's this balancing act. Um, of when she goes between her sort of personas, she's trying to find this middle point. And um, basically her her normal self, if you like, Estella is this aspiring fashion designer, but through um, confrontation and uh, she learns of some very specific truths of this woman she first idolizes and then opposes, but she develops this Corella persona to be like hidden from her job. And what I found really interesting about this is that it's very well directed. There's lots of um, handheld camera, which we talked, you mentioned earlier about Disney not taking big swings. And it actually felt for me, Corella was quite a big swing in that it wasn't this straightforward origin movie they could have easily thrown together. And there's one particular moment that I just want to talk about before I let you (laughs) give your opinion. (laughs) Is that, so Cruella has, has... has a moment of settling on a a life choice and kind of talking to someone who's not there anymore. And it's just filmed in like a slightly lower angle, but it's a handheld camera in just daylight in one shot and it's basically a monologue and it is just like jaw dropping. It is not rushed, it's beautifully delivered. And uh, just the, the whole movie has that kind of talent in the way it's been put together. So I, I loved it. And well, I was really, uh, I said to you last night, like this covers a lot of the same ground as Joker did in terms of trauma and disassociation and balancing personas and using your persona as, as protection from the world. 
I said, this does it much, much better than Joker did. Much, much better. So I loved it. I thought it was funky and fun and, uh, and like um, amazing to look at as well. The fashion was incredible. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I quite liked it. <laughs> uh, well, I liked it as well. And it's been, I'm a few months removed from it now. I think I watched it ahead of the, again, the... Um, the initial release in May, so I actually haven't seen it since. Uh, but I do remember very much enjoying it. Um, I also remember a few sort of points, some of which you've covered. I would argue that a, a better film would... So, I don't know how to say this without... Anyway. Sorry, I'm thinking. The there's a <laughs> There's a whole balancing of personas, which Simon has mentioned, between her normal self which is her name is Estella and this persona she's created Cruella which is a persona she created as a child when she was standing up to bullies because of course she's a she's a good guy um I think that a better film might have gone a little bit deeper into whether she was making a choice or whether she had you know dissociative identity disorder you know whether whether she was just electing to be the bad guy or whether she has literal multiple personalities. I think there's a, it's difficult though, because on the one hand, I think that's true. And on the other hand, this is a movie for children. So tough, tough one. That's a tough one. Um, my favorite thing about this movie. What the hell was that? Oh, sorry about that. Apparently my watch heard me trying to call my friend. Weird. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, the thing I loved about this movie was that despite it being live action, it very much feels like the people who made it know it started as an animated film. Mm -hmm. There's lots and lots of scenes. Like there's one, the one that sticks out in my brain is one where she first acquires her car. <laughs> yeah. Which is of course a DeVille. Uh, and she speeds off down the street and she's bouncing off cars left and right on the side of the street, just like in the animated film. <laughs> mm. uh, and it, it knows to cast, um, uh, what are their names? Paul Walter Hauser and uh, uh, Fry. Uh, uh, yeah, I can't remember his Joel, name. Joel Fry. Joel Fry. Sort Joel of Fry. like completely physically opposite actors as mm -hmm. the sort of henchmen uh and i'd also and i'd forgotten about this from the original movie but their name is the badden brothers they're the baddens <laughs> which i think is pretty perfect for a pair of bad guys um <laughs> but overall it's just the whole movie has a real sense of style and a real personality and i think craig gillespie whose other most notable work is probably i tanya which is also an excellent film oh, I haven't seen that. Oh, it's so good uh but he seems to have a a way of injecting personality into these into his films that really works in this one's favor. Yeah. Um, honestly, my probably my biggest complaint, if I have one, about the movie would be that the main three characters, being Cruella and the Baden brothers, who are supposed to be in their late teens, early twenties, and I actually looked this up when I wrote my review, so I know for a fact that Emma Stone is thirty-two. Paul Walter Hauser's 34 and Joel Fry is 36. And so they just do not, they don't look the age they're supposed to be. And that's a little <laughs> bit distracting because I'm an yeah. adult. There's a time jump where they go from the kid actors who are great, by the way. Uh, it's always nice to see good kid actors. They go from the kid actors to the adult actors. And um, uh, the, the one of them goes, well, oh, we've known you for 10 years now. And I'm like, no, no, you've you've been a lot longer than ten years. There's, yeah. there's been double that. <laughs> yeah, and on the other hand, though, you know what else really makes this movie great is uh, a Emma great Thompson. villain. A great villain will make any film great, and Emma yeah. Thompson, yeah, is so good she as is. the sociopathic bad guy in this. Sociopathic, um, uh, but what she's what is really makes this is that she's not a pantomime sociopath like she's got that tiny slither of vulnerability as well which makes it perfect i think well and it's also not that she she's not like over the top and you know like 
uh, what's the right word? She's not a cartoon character. Yeah. You know, at one point, you know, towards the end of the film, when they she fight, she gets the upper hand for a moment, and everyone and Cruella's like, "Oh, you're not going to get away with this," and she's like, "Oh, yes, I will." It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like it's never. uh, There's never a a monologue that is just designed to pad the runtime, right? She's very, she's sociopathic but pragmatic as well, which is quite refreshing in this kind of movie. And she does these lovely little micro reactions. If you remember when um, she, so she hires Estella as a, a designer in her in her house of designers, and she's got the reputation as she has done for years uh, as being this like perfect designer. Like she creates masterpieces. And there's a wonderful moment where Estella shows her something she's put together. Uh, I think it's the, the dress towards the end actually. And Emma, Emma Thompson gives us this, um, this reaction that is very, very subtle, but you can see like this, this perfect who's always been the best suddenly realizing she's not the best anymore. And mm-hmm. And it's a it's a lovely subtle piece of delivery that kind of disappears almost instantly as she as she sort of develops her cocksure attitude again. But it was just really great. She it it wouldn't have been as effective if she'd been another Corella, right? So um, it, it was yeah. really good. It was really well judged. Yeah, and and I think this might be the most important thing we can say about this film. But I'm going to say it, and I'm it's important you pay attention to what I'm about to say it's important you really understand what I'm about to say and that is that Emma Stone's evil laugh is fucking perfect (laughs) (laughs) like I'm not going to even try to replicate it I don't have the right timber if you will Uh, but in terms of like evil villain laughter I don't know where she digs that out of her segi from but her evil laugh is perfection I I think she's got a a prestige for reaction laughter that I think she's the top of that list. Like what's that movie where she's with Olivia? Uh, oh God, help me, Matt. The, uh, the favorite, the favorite. Oh yeah. There's, yeah. She, there's a reaction snort laugh in the favorite. I wasn't a huge fan of the favorite, but you should watch the whole of the favorite just to see this one snort laugh reaction by Emma Stone that is just like perfect. <laughs> I mean, that movie's a, a tour de force from her and Rachel Weisz and Olivia yeah. Coleman yeah, yeah. Uh, in the best way. Yeah. She's, a, she's an incredible actress. And she, I think this is one of the best things I've seen her in. And again, I wasn't expecting that. I, I'm a little bit cynical maybe when it comes to live action versions of Disney things. I'm, it's very easy to kind of expect it just to be a cash in because that's all they really need to do. They don't need to do very much, but this movie really surprised me in, in how uh, how clever it was and in, in how it sort of adapted what this story could be and how much freedom I think the director had in really capturing. It was a really nice sort of idiosyncratic mix of 60s London, but with modern sensibilities. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of music as well. And the music cuts were never too on the nose, which was nice. Um, Although and it just looked, looked fantastic. I'll say occasionally they were pretty on. It, 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 a couple of the, the the record drops got a little close, but um, yeah. not not over the line for me. But it's uh, it was just fantastic. I thought. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting too. I think we you know we're talking about this in the context of like the Disney live action remakes, but it's kind of not really that, right? Like it's it's an extension of a character, not a retelling of a story. And I think that the Disney live action updates, the ones where they do the least are the least interesting to me, but the ones so far where they have done told a different kind of story or take it, making them taking the most liberties with the source material um, are kind of the best ones. That's uh, a really interesting point, actually. Yeah. Which, you know, now but, that I say that out loud, I have to go back and say, maybe not exactly because the Pete's dragon remake is probably the best one of those. And fundamentally it's a pretty similar story to the original, just, you know, really good instead of really bad. Uh, uh, I have seen neither version of Pete's Dragon. You should definitely watch the new one and you should not really give a shit about the original. But the new one oh. is great. The new one is fantastic. Uh, oh, but also, like, love it or hate it, Maleficent is one of the better one of these films too. And that tells 
the Snow White story from the bad guy's point of view, and they sneak mm-hmm. a rape re- metaphor in there, and it turns out to be a really effective film. Wow, I haven't um, seen that. Either. Yeah, no, it's a, it's it's not um it's not amazing. I would say I'd say that I would li- I liked Cruella probably better than Maleficent, but Maleficent mm-hmm. is a as big a swing as Disney's going to make at this point. You know, right. like they're not going to make a fantasy story with a rape metaphor in it that isn't connected to something. <laughs> yeah. You know, guaranteed to be able to like the story, the the story before the story of Snow White. They're that's that's their marketing hook, right? Just like this is the yeah. story before the story of a thousand hundred one Dalmatians. Yeah, yeah. So a thousand one Dalmatians. I'd watch that movie. Just dogs everywhere. Don't don't <laughs> don't give them ideas. <laughs> that's the next step, isn't it? Yeah. Infinity Dalmatians. Indeed. Well, I hope, I mean, they are making a sequel and she's been locked down for the sequel. And I I had, I was completely ambivalent towards that until I watched this movie. And now I'm really, truly excited for it. Like, if they keep the same director and the same style, like, I think it, it's going to be fantastic. And also, I loved how they, in the last third, it became, there were sort of heist undertones and how the group came together. But the last third of that movie is a heist movie. And I, I love that Ocean's Eleven thing where you see them come together and then you see the heist sort of happen Mm -hmm. and realise what's going on as it happens. I'm not going to give away, like, there's a wonderful moment in this where you go, ah, and suddenly a lot of things make sense. And Mm -hmm. I love that kind of reveal. absolutely love it. So I would hope that now they've got their Scooby gang, I would hope that they, they stick with that kind of heist gang ensemble approach for the next one yeah that's fair i agree uh my only last note is that this is one of those films that has also cemented nicholas Bertel is one of my uh favorite working composers as well between this and his score for the television show succession he's if i see his name on something now i get excited because i think he's really good yeah the music was great i haven't seen succession but i hear it's very good it is. It's really good and really mean and really well scored. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, fantastic. Uh, I don't know. I, I, this maybe is the wrong reference for you because I don't know if you've seen um, Arrested Development, but Succession is kind of just Arrested Development, but played straight instead of funny, which is <laughs> once you see that, you're like, oh, God. <laughs> oh, really? Uh, does, does anyone believe themselves? <laughs> uh it's a different metaphor, uh, <laughs> but actually, yeah, kind of, they do. <laughs> uh, yeah. How much, is, how much is a pint of milk? <laughs> Whatever yeah. That, I love that. Yeah. No, I mean, succession is a story of the children of a rich asshole who are all struggling for his approval and to inherit his fortune and empire. And there's a, there's quirky side characters and it's all very r-rated and very hbo but it's the same basic setup of arrested development so my problem is that i have a real problem watching dramas like succession and it sounds like why i didn't watch the white lotus past the first episode i don't want to see a bunch of entitled rich assholes sniping at each other i don't find that entertaining i know you watched all of the white lotus as well i think you liked it um but um I, I, I have trouble. Maybe it's they want you to hate these people, but that's too effective for me. I don't want to watch any more of these people that I hate. <laughs> that is fair. You would definitely, definitely hate the Roy family. Just saying. But you should definitely <laughs> check out here Nicholas Patel's score for it because the score is yep. incredible. I will. That sounds yeah. good. Yeah, the score was, for Corona was fantastic. Good. So... Shall we so, say Kate Mayer, Corella, yeah. fantastic. Yeah. And now if you have either of those streaming channels, you can watch either of those movies. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Kate's Netflix only, but I'm pretty sure Corella is still available yeah. to purchase on iTunes as well, probably. I haven't checked. Uh, that's a good point. Yeah, it's probably cheaper now. It's um, included in Vanilla Disney Plus, but um, it's worth it. It's weird. Like we paid $35 for Black Widow. I was kind of, well, that's fine. Maybe I wouldn't have done that if I'd seen it. If I'd rented it, I probably wouldn't buy it. But uh, I feel kind of the opposite with Corella. It's it's something I would like to rewatch a number of times. Yeah. Good. 
Good. Well, I think I think we're gonna call it there with one bad and one good movie for this week. Uh, Simon, what do you have in the week coming up? Um, you're gonna force me to watch. We can't talk about it next week, though, can we? Uh, no, there's Matt's- a thing. There's a thing we're gonna watch that we're embargoed from talking about that we'll be talking about in two weeks' time. Two weeks, right? That I the am- embargo. The embargo the, is the day after our next podcast, so we can't talk about it next week either. That is correct. Uh, it's interesting, actually. I don't really have that much on my calendar for this week coming, so we might have to come up with some kind of special episode. <laughs> oh, can we do games finally? Can can the podcast be a gaming podcast? Let's not go. Talk- let's not go crazy. <laughs> I want to talk about Aliens Fireteam Elite for an hour and tell you how great it is. While you can tell me how much you hated it. <laughs> I mean, we could definitely make a show out of that. <laughs> uh, or maybe we can get a guest on and do a preview of the upcoming Vancouver International Film Festival, yes. which we'll both be attending again. Me for the eighth year, and I think you for the second. second yeah, yeah, I'm really excited. Um, I also uh, am accredited to watch the Fantastic Fest in Austin, uh, virtually, obviously, but out of Austin, Texas, the week before VIF, so I am not going to sleep for the next month. <laughs> Uh, and if all goes to plan, there's, there's also, I, I don't actually have time to do it, but I applied to, I should hopefully be attending Nightstream as well, which is a horror film festival that takes place directly. I think it actually overlaps the last three days of the BIF too. So oh, I, get me in on that. I'll do horror films all day long. Get yeah, me, get me in I, on that. I am not going to sleep for weeks. Yeah, but that's awesome because you've got a job now where you're being paid to write about music. Fe- oh, just yeah. without the pay. Right. Yeah. So that brings us to the following message. <laughs> Which is the same message as it is every week. Uh, first off, we'd like to take this opportunity to say thank you for listening. We very much appreciate you. We love each and every one of you. Both, both of you. Um, <laughs> if you've liked what you've heard, please feel free to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform and give us a like, give us a review. Those things help immeasurably. They are what help keep uh, your favorite podcasts in the rankings, in the listings, and in the featured columns. Uh, And if you want to support us a little more directly, uh, we also have a Patreon and a Ko-fi and a PayPal, all of which you could find on the website at awesomefriday.ca. But above all, thank you for listening. We very much appreciate you, and we will see you soon. Thanks, guys. See you later. Bye. Bye.